All right, everybody. Uh, this is uh, this is Mitchell again. Welcome to Cranking Off, the only podcast that is uh, certified schizopelt. I'm your host, Mitchell. Um, I am joined by a very special guest this week, or I should say, new co-host, uh, my dearly beloved brother, uh, Scott. Hello, hello, Scott. Hello. How are you? I am not schizopelt. He's not. He's normal. Mostly. I'm grill pilled. Does that count? He is, yeah. yeah. He's, got, he's a got a beard and he's bald and everything. And he's got, and he's a, got grill. a grill. A gut, a grill, and um, bald. Who, whom's amongst us does not have at least one of those three things? All the cool people. That's what they're all doing. Yep. So, uh, for the for the listeners, this is. I know I had originally said that it was going to be a just kind of weird California book report movie than just general whatever it's the format's going to change it's going to be x-files episodes then movie so this is this is the new plan going in the future um and scott will hopefully if he if god willing will be joining me so i'm not just screaming into the into the night on my own anymore as much as we like hearing you ramble uh incessantly about uh disturbing things uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to have somebody to say, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, that's always a, always a good sign. So uh, today we're going to be talking about two very uh, special X-Files episodes. Um, we're going to be talking first off about uh, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Cue X-Files music. dun 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 There you go. So, um... This episode, it's 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 a hard one to explain because there's a as as the dude once said, there's a there's a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. Um, but it, basically, it starts off with a a, a young couple uh, being abducted by uh, typical gray aliens, and uh, in a then a gray is the the fellows with the big eyes and the big heads, you know, the ones you see on. Um, just kind of everywhere in general for UFO lore. Um, yeah, that. And uh, they abduct these kids, and then uh, out of nowhere, a, a big uh, red motherfucker shows up. And it, then we cue X-Files music again. It's important to note that one of the other aliens starts uh, speaking in English to uh, his friend. Well, that happens later. Well, no, it happens at the beginning. He, he says, Is it in the beginning? not happening, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was later on, but I may be wrong. Um, so yeah, so we immediately start off with the, the typical gray aliens. What I find very interesting about this scene is the fact that uh, the the red alien shows up in kind of the more later uh, sightings, not Ros or post Roswell sightings. Uh, it's kind of stealth bomber looking ship. It is triangular. It is black. It is very sleek. Whereas the the gray aliens are in a much more circular. You can see welding on it. You can see design. Um, saucer, which I found to be very interesting. As we all know, alien spacecraft is evolving. Um, we've we started off with the saucer. We got into the triangles. We're getting the the pill shaped uh, in the in the end, the balls of energy. So uh, you know, let's see where uh, the engineering goes from here. Uh, Hopefully, um, it, it's an even sleeker design moving forward. 
It's just going to be a, a flying stick. In the, it's going to be it's going to be the bone from Spaceballs in the future. Um, there's there's the people that talk about the rods. Uh, that that's kind of that. That's neat. That's that's a neat one. I enjoy I enjoy the the wackier uh, shaped. Because that might just be like straight up like a predator drone. Yeah, you know what I mean, I mean they probably all are to some extent, but we're get, getting ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, to to get back to the episode, the the kids are abducted and they both. She mysteriously shows up in a car the next day and her nose is bleeding. Right? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, something like that. Or does she wake up in her room with her nose? No. I I think she's in she's in the car and her clothes are inside out. So they they show up and they think it's oh and while this is happening, uh, the the framing of the story is essentially an author is interviewing Dana Scully in their office for his this book he's writing called From Outer Space. Hence the title Jose Chung's From Outer Space, which is a, a plan the plume. That's not his actual name. Uh, yes, for anyone who's wondering. Yes, he's not a. a Mexican Asian man, I guess. He's a little Jewish man, it looks like. Sounds like the Mad Hatter, actually. It talks like that. I have not looked it up. It might actually be. He was probably still alive at that point. But um anyways, yeah, so the the girl shows up in a car the next day and they kind of uh, assume that the boy sexually assaulted her. Um Mulder and Scully show up to investigate the reported uh abduction. Uh, Mulder right off the bat makes a fucking rape joke. Yeah, he, he what does he say? Her rape is you're not, or she's not going to be the only one worried about rape. You're going to have to worry about it too in prison or whatever. Yeah, which is like, oh, okay. I didn't know we were doing that. Um and then and then uh the, the cop shows up and he swears a lot, but they, they make it bleep, which is a, a nice little, a fun little thing. Um, so as, as their story continues, the boy shows up the next day throwing rocks at the um, girl's door. He gets apprehended and then they uh, get his version of the story, which is he talks about being in these little underground cages with the gray alien saying, this is not happening. This is not happening while smoking a cigarette. Which is how I spend most of my day now, or my days now, is just in a fetal position, lighting one cigarette with another, muttering to myself quietly. Being an alien. Yeah. Also dressing up as a gray alien. Um, so he recounts that story to Mulder, and then, and then they do, they do, they do a hypnotism to the girl to to try and distract, extract the memories from her. Um, I don't know how much you know about hypnotism and uh it's place in sort of UFO Laura Scott. What do you, what do you know about? Uh, I believe her name is pronounced Myrna Hansen, but I'm not entirely sure. Know that hypnotism is. Aside from being a bunk science. Logical and scientific circles. Uh, it's a lot of the placebo effect that um, people talk about. I think that it's in, in relationship to uh, UFOs, I think it's sort of more of like a new age uh, addition to the to the mix, um, and that happens a lot, obviously. Um, 
but I don't I don't know the, that person specifically. Okay, so and I, like I said, I'm not 100 percent sure I'm pronouncing her first name right, but it's M Y R N A. So I think Myrna is right. Myrna, yeah. So Myrna Hansen um, was a alleged uh, adoptee from the uh, area around Paul Benowitz, who is, as we can remember from last time, uh, someone who's deeply involved with the cattle mutilation phenomenon in the greater New Mexico uh, Great Basin area. Um, He actually had her hypnotized where she recounted her kind of experience with the being probed and seeing a, a cow being lifted into the air. Um, these are memories she did not have beforehand. Um, and so Bedowitz got her hypnotized to relay this information to him, which is part of what started his spiral. I think what happened was, is I do think she was abducted, but it was, you know, the air force who was testing her because they were testing the cattle in the area for radiation, which I talked about last time. It's funny. You should mention that because yes, yes. As we see that is very extremely relevant to this episode of the show as well. Yes, uh, yes it is. Remind me, were they microdosing uh, Benowitz with um, LSD? I don't think they were microdosing him with LSD. They were microdosing him with uh, uh, microwave beams. And by microdosing, I mean shooting shooting them at him in his house. And also breaking into his house and moving his furniture uh, inches. Giving him hallucinogenic drugs in his water or something but that might have just been they may have been i haven't seen that i haven't seen that in what i've read what i have seen is he he is uh people break into his house and move his furniture by like two inches yeah yeah no all that's good i thought specifically because i think a, a little bit of this episode also kind of has a i don't know a weirdness about it that kind of can only be explained by hallucinogens or some kind of keelsian shit going on but we'll get to it yeah yeah so um as the episode continues we're introduced to another wonderful uh character named rocky um, I was watching this with the subtitles on. Apparently, Rocky is spelled R-O-K-Y, which I don't like. Yeah, I don't enjoy that uh, at all. But anyways, uh, he reports of having seen, also seen the red alien come down and in a very uh, Ray Harryhausen um, battle attacking the, the Greys. Which, which is the guy who did the stop motion effects for like Jason and the Argonauts and all that shit in the 1960s. Medusa-ish. Yes, yes. It looks like the little Skellingtons. Um, so he, he talks about this story and then we are treated to what I think is probably one of my favorite scenes in the X-Files canon. Um, Jesse Ventura driving into, the, into, his, into his garage unprompted. Um. Yeah, but okay. Who is Jesse Ventura here? It's very well, important. Okay, a, a man, a man in black, but not like the John Keel. Like, oh, you know, it's probably just some some autistic dude going to investigate aliens. Have you heard that theory? Uh, yeah, I've heard that they're just weirdos. But yeah. I think to rewind just a second, when he pulls into the 
the car park or he's got like a detached garage. Yeah. It's a very weird thing. It looks like it was kind of like reversed or sped up or something because the way it happens is very weird. And that kind yeah. of yeah. is what I was talking about earlier. It just kind of seemed off somehow. Yeah, no, they definitely they definitely fucked with the uh, like the frame rate or something because it, it does look very strange as he pulls into the into the parking garage. Um, but yeah, so Jesse Ventura pulls up as a as a man in black, and this is more the and this is something I'm curious about because the as I said the John Keel men in black are like straight up just fucking like goons like or not goons but like they're like idiots like they're just kind of bumbling around being stupid, whereas whereas these guys are like like jesse ventura like big and cool and like has a has a cool voice yeah i think the implication of the the keel stuff is that they're like almost aliens themselves yeah no that's that's the direct implication it's it's very funny because he always refers to them as being um i think he calls them like oriental Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, but this is more like kind of the the Will Smith man in black kind of man in black as opposed to the John Keel uh I don't know how to eat a steak man in black. You know what I mean? Kind of a mixture actually cuz the the shit he starts spouting. I mean, it's not like Will Smith drove up and like did a cool thing and then like whipped out his sunglasses. He immediately comes out of the car and just starts spouting nonsense. I I you know what? If Jesse Ventura busted down my door right now and just said everything you believe is a lie. It's all just this thing. I'd be like, I, I believe you. So, yeah, I mean, he immediately gets out of the car and says, uh, your president or your former president, Jimmy Carter. Uh, he basically says it's very easy to misidentify a UFO instead of, uh, as the planet Venus. I will insert my favorite bits of that monologue into here just interspersedly because i i absolutely love it worth listening to this just for that 10 seconds yeah so yeah and then someone touches the shoulder of rocky the um uh telephone wire repairman or whatever the power wire repairman or whatever the fuck he is um very have you seen close encounters of third kind he i i think he's like a direct reference to um Richard Dreyfuss's character in that, because he's also like a power line worker, and so are the so are the guys in uh, Fire in the Sky. So just to be clear, um, so we've moved past him being in his garage. He is now pulling up to where the two kids from earlier are passed out, and is like coming up to the scene of the the aliens. red aliens fighting each or fighting the Greys. And this is when he sees it, and then the the red alien sees him, and uh, approaches him, uh, and and introduces himself, introduces himself as uh, as Lord Kimboat. So uh, it seems like Rocky has a pretty uh, sick adventure with this guy. He writes it down in his uh, in his manuscript. I don't know manifesto. I believe it's referred to as in the show. Uh, yes, on. Uh, like binder paper <laughs> yes in screenplay format binder paper yeah writing in screenplay format by hand which is impressive to me um so i find this whole thing to be really interesting that it's included in the show because 
I hate I hate to keep bringing up Paul Benowitz, but I am going to keep bringing up Paul Benowitz. Um, I, I'm wondering if he's kind of because in in his when he's talking to Mulder and Scully about his encounter with Kimbo and the Men in Black, he brings up very distinctly that I'm a Republican. Or I think he says that to Jesse Ventura, and he says that to Jesse Ventura. Um, and one of the things to note about Paul Benowitz is that Paul Benowitz was a very like patriotic dude. Like he was, a, he was literally an Air Force contractor. So um, it's very interesting to kind of see that reference. Some they both, I mean, Benowitz actually owned like a like a shop and was like an engineering genius by all accounts, whereas this guy is just some dipshit working on power lines. But between the, the manifesto of the alien journeys and uh the uh kind of general uh electrical doohickeys i i see a kind of connection between benowitz and the patriotism of these two characters which i find interesting well and again not to get ahead of ourselves but i think the 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 woodrow derenberger uh connection and also um i forget what his name is there was another italian guy in los angeles um being visited and then afterwards becoming somewhat of like a prophet for said alien uh darren Berger specifically with the the lanulose uh crap from from john keel but yeah he was like their earthly interpreter or prophet or whatever and that this kind is, of happens in this as well this is uh the guy you're talking about the the lanulose guy that's the dude who supposedly like is homies if injured cold right yeah they're all like friends from the planet venus or whatever yeah the the this i don't want to get too lost on this guy because i believe he's just pure pure unadulterated crankery which will be saved for another date but he claims to be close personal friends of injured cold and his family um anyways uh so they they bring the girl and they have her do two hypnotherapy sessions the first one is an alien experience that somewhat confirms the boy's story as a as they're just actually alien experiences, but neither one match. She's in a much more stereotypical. They have they're being probed with like suits on or something. I don't know really know how to quite describe the visuals and the aliens speaking to her telepathically. Um, but then this the the second time there is and. Uh, my my notes here just read um air force air force air force air force cold war shit air force air force um so it's it's revealed to be the air force has um hypnotized this girl previously so as we kind of talked about before i i think i mentioned the air force already like three or four times um but yeah, the Air Force comes in and, and had previously uh, hypnotized this girl, I think, to convince her that she'd been abducted by aliens. It's this whole episode. There's not a lot of stern conclusions you can come to. It's a, it's a bit of a Rashomon situation. Yeah, one of the things that is happening here and is and happens in this in the other episode we're going to talk about is there's a bit of an unreliable narration occurring. Um, where you're not quite sure what actually is happening because you're getting told from 
multiple people with multiple different yes uh, outlooks or whatever. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple scenes where the same thing is allegedly happening, but it's happening in different ways or people remember it differently. So I don't know if that's kind of like the underlying theme of this this entire episode, but like the witnesses or whatever thinking different things happened. And um, as you were just saying, uh, it, hypnotism and uh, mind control happening. Uh, there's a lot going on here that kind of results in a what the what the fuck moment uh, at, the, at the end. For, for everyone, even the, even Scully and uh, Jose, <laughs> Mr. Chung, um, I do I do have written in my notes, and I believe someone says it just straight up. I think it's Jose Chung says it straight up at one point. Truth is always subjective. Um, so that's kind of the I'm going to say the the main main thread to take here. So I to put it shortly, I'm not badly explaining it. I mean, I probably am, but this there's also just a lot of shit going on with a lot of a lo- put this in a nutshell. I mean, we haven't yeah. even talked about the fact that the one of the gray aliens was actually a uh, Air Force pilot dressed up in okay. a suit. So let's 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 talk about that. So it's it's later revealed in the episode that the two Greys who abducted these kids are in fact Air Force pilots disguised. Um, Scott, did you happen to catch the name of one of the of the pilot Mulder talks to in the diner? Uh, no, but I bet you did. I did. I did indeed. Uh, his name is Jack Schaefer, which is interesting, and this might be might be a, a pretty big stretch, but. I was recently rereading a book called Chaos, which is something we will absolutely talk about at one point. But um, in that book, there's a whole chapter devoted to this Air Force pilot named Jimmy Shaver, um, which is a very similar name, obviously, right? So this Air Force pilot is... I think this is a stretch because you'll notice that when this guy is telling the story, he's using... uh, you know, when they say, like, the names have been changed to, uh, you know, protect the security of those people or whatever, he's mm-hmm. changed all the names. So, I mean, yeah. that's not his – what what was in here was not his real name. And they're, like, close to the other names. It's, like, instead of Fox Mulder, it's, like, uh, you know, uh, Box Colder or something stupid. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah. not his real name. But what you're saying, like – that could be his real name, what you're saying. So I think it's it kind could, of like a joke, yeah. But I'm, I'm more bringing up a, a, an interesting parallel that I, I have with Jimmy Shaver and Jack Schaefer. Um, so Jimmy Shaver is, I believe, probably one of the most uh, famous incidents, or not famous, but earliest incidents of a uh, person who was who killed somebody potentially under the influence of MK Ultra brainwashing. Uh, Jimmy Shaver killed a little girl near a bar near an Air Force, I think in San Diego in the 1950s. Um, he, 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 like I said, he killed her, uh, could not remember what happened. He was found to be covered in blood and scratches. Um, do you, Scott, do you want to know who came in and talked to Jimmy Shaver to get a, to get a confession out of him? I don't know the big man himself, maybe. Uh, Jolly West. 
Yes. So 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 Jolly West, who is the probably most infamous doctor associated with MK Ultra, um, came in and personally got the confession out of Jimmy Shaver that he killed this little girl. And uh, Jimmy Shaver, the other interesting thing about this is that all the files with uh, SCH from that Air Force base are missing from that time period. Of who was in the medical center at what times. That's not weird at all. Why would, and that, then, why would that be weird? Yeah, during during the confession, there is just kind of a cut in the middle of the, of the confession. And then they resume it. And the note says, uh, Jimmy Shaver is crying profusely, having realized what he's done. <laughs> we pulled it out of his mind by force. Yes. So that is, I don't, I don't know how much that has to do with it, but I found that to be a very little interesting, um, sort of correlation there. One of the scenes where we see him, he is wandering around in a forest kind of looking like, uh, lost or whatever. And that could be because he got, you know, probed or taken aboard the ship or whatever but it also could just be like you know that's the thing about trying to describe this is that none of this is linear really uh yes it's just a lot of shit that happened that like didn't make sense in inside of the nut you know it's just it's a lot and the uh, nut yeah the nut the nutshell um but yeah i mean he personally i think he and his buddy uh in the other gray alien suit were going to abduct uh the girl and and the guy in the car in the first place to do air force shit um then i think the episode is suggesting that a real alien shows up abducts the aliens or the air force dressed up as aliens takes them yeah. aboard his ship. We see him smoking in in one of the cages saying this isn't happening, this isn't happening. And later off gets dropped off in a forest. That's why he's wandering around and and the other the other gray alien pilot Air Force man is found dead in his suit which is mistaken as a as an identified or as a sighting in a sort of alien autopsy style. Abduction of abductors whether or not that Lord, uh, I can't Kimbo Kimbo, uh, was, was actually real. I think is the, is like the, the actual problem within this story. Yeah. So the other things I really want to talk about in the diners where Mulder gets a hold of the, one of the air force pilots and sits him down and they talk in the diner, which is kind of what I've talked about with the fact that his name is Jack Schaefer. Versus the Jimmy Shaver thing. And they kind of talk about what the possible UFO phenomenon is. And he mentioned a couple really interesting things to me in what what it could be, right? In the abduction phenomenon. Uh, infrasound, which is kind of the the kind of the most notable like touch all, like, oh, it wasn't Bigfoot or whatever, it was just infrasound. Um, nerve gas. Yeah, nerve gas was another, um, which is also interesting. And in my opinion, the most the most notable is he mentions microwave beams. 
which, as I mentioned earlier, is something they they uh, subjected Paul Benowitz to. They would they would essentially cook him alive. So I don't know how much stuff these guys are like tapped into at the moment, but whoever wrote this episode was real fucking had his had his fingers deep in the anus of the way way deep in the anus of conspiracy culture just like moving forward at this early stage in our careers what is your actual take on ufos um i do not believe that saucers I, I, I think I talked about it last episode, but I believe essentially every single thing in America uh, is just secret technology. Uh, either the stealth bomber, which accounts for a lot of these sort of triangular shaped things or various types of experimental aircraft. Um, I think that it's not or it's not extraterrestrial. It's interdimensional beings that are coming through. Um, so I, I'm much more of a kind of a ultra terrestrial guy as opposed to an extra terrestrial guy. If you catch my drift. Um, so I'm going to put the, uh, chicken being the UFOs before the egg or yeah, sorry. I'm going to put the, um, there's some actual phenomenon that occurred and the air force or whoever JSOC. The ops, the ops people, um, decided to replicate it in order to confuse and uh, um, kind of granulate the subject into people being insane and all sorts of stuff. Um, but you know, the the subject matter came from somewhere. I think there's something we don't understand occurring. Um, maybe only like 1% of the actual sightings and all that stuff are, are legit. I think most of it is, is ops or people being stupid or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it is based off of something. I don't think they just came up with that. So I'm sure that will evolve over time, but that's, that's my guess right now. Yeah, I my goal my goal is to to gray pill you. Um, that's my that's the goal of the show in general is to get everyone gray pilled. Um, so yeah, so the after Mulder talks to this guy in the diner, the Air Force shows up and just kind of escorts him out, and then they um they later frame the deaths of him and his comrade that he flew with in a fake test site, which. Again, I hate to get back to Benowitz, but the the Air Force was notorious with Benowitz of staging fake uh, crashes or landings of that kind of stuff to get him looking in opposite directions of where he should have been. The question that comes up about UFOs all the time is if they're you know so advanced and so amazing, why are they always crashing? Yes. Which I think there's a simple explanation, which is the fact that the U.S. has had unmanned drone technology since probably the early 1970s. Um, but anyways, so yeah, it's um, so they they do that, and then we cut to Mulder and Scully, or Scully and Mulder, I should say, put some respect on her name. Uh, we cut to Scholar and Moldy, Scholar and Moldy, Scholar and Moldy, Mulder and Scully. 
being in their hotel, uh, he he goes and gets um, or he goes to check on her, and we see Jesse Ventura again. And uh, the the man Jesse Ventura gives him another little uh, spiel. It's not quite as uh, as a high note as the other one, but um, it's still pretty good. I mean, it's you can't go wrong with Jesse Ventura. Yeah, the okay. Not to get off track here. If Jesse Ventura ran for president, I am ninety percent convinced he would actually win. So I think just going forward, if you're going to go off on a tangent, you should just do it because I think that's like probably the 10th time we've said not to go off track. Well, you know what? I, yeah, I, but anyways, I think Jesse Ventura would absolutely be president of the United States if he, if he ran. Yeah. We'd all be getting like uh, multi-thousand dollar checks from budget surpluses and there'd be, you know, a utopian, uh, the new American empire in our grasp at this point. Yeah. He, he just doesn't want to lose his... Uh, I think he's got like a tax-free haven in like Mexico or something. Well, he, I think one of his things was he's going to get rid of uh, income tax and everything was going to be based off sales tax. So, Hell yeah. He's Hell yeah, Jesse. I love him. He's awesome. Um, anyways, yeah. So they, they have this conversation. Um, it's essentially just the same spiel he gave Rocky. You didn't see what you saw. And then... Um, Mr. Alex, the great, the late, the legend, Alex Trebek has a cameo in this. That is the strangest insertion of a cameo because they, they've kind of showed this guy like standing in the background a couple times, but like yeah. face hidden. And then now it is revealed that it was in fact Alex Trebek and by name, uh, names him Mulder and drops him. Yeah. that's who this is and that kind of just adds to the like insanity of the whole thing because you know you can't say Alex Trebek is a man in black because then you sound insane well it's like that story of Bill Murray going up to that guy in the Wendy's and eating one of his fries off his thing and he says no one will ever believe you if you tell them this happened so maybe Bill Murray's a man in black too it's like the insertion of that makes the entire story sound ridiculous. And that's, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. But so I, I think they say it may not have actually been Alex Trebek, but it was someone who looked a lot like him. So, yeah, I mentioned staged crash. Um, and then the episode just kind of ends, you know? Yeah, there's some Air Force shenanigans. But, I mean, what we've said is basically what happens i mean there's there's an unreliable narration there's multiple yeah there's multiple perspectives of the same thing there's some like weird uh you know keel type uh disruption from the weirdness going on and by the end you're just like i don't know what the fuck actually happened so and that's probably the point yeah yeah um the ending has some nice has some nice wrap ups for the little characters we see in the thing. Um, Rocky uh, goes and starts uh, Scientology two and El Cajon. Um, what drove me insane about this for a second was the fact that I don't know how much you remember of Inherent Vice. I don't know if you remember that kind of like like sanatorium they go to or whatever up in up in kind of north of L.A. 
where they go looking for Eric Roberts? North of, north of L.A. is, is and, and along the coast in general, is one of the most beautiful places on Earth, but is also one of the most cursed places on Earth. Yeah, yeah, no, the whole, like, central coast is a very strange, strange place. Um, but yeah, so th- I believe, and I might be remembering wrong, but in Inherent Vice, where they're keeping, uh, I think his name's Mickey Wolfman, I don't know if that's right, but Eric Roberts' character, the 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 very rich uh, building developer, they're keeping him in a place up in, up in El Cajon, I believe, which is, like, my, my, uh, crank sensors went haywire when i heard that well it, it seemed to be a very new age yeah uh, thing. the only the only the only way it could have driven me more insane was if he had said he went up to big sir yeah no the ex uh the ex contactee becoming like a cult leader is a, a trope that's been played out multiple times he does he does heaven's gate too yeah and the atf shows up and it's just bad yeah and then the the kind of end, real end of the episode is Mulder goes to talk to jose chong he's like don't publish this it'll make everyone look crazy and then um he publishes it anyway and then the girl who got abducted by aliens at the beginning is like uh Grapehilt and is now calling the boyfriend or the guy who took her out on the date uh, a little bitch cuck who only cares about love. And now she's podcasting about uh, Paul Benowitz and Yeah, this girl this girl is me. I I was I was that girl. Yeah. Now we are going to talk about uh, musings of a cigarette smoking man. I think this is going to take a lot less time because I think a it's, lot of this stuff has already been well explained. It's just an interesting. You see, you say that, but I have a whole thing about about E. Howard Hunt on here that might take like 10 minutes. So just be aware. Yeah. Well, when that comes up. I'll let you do your thing. Okay. Um, so yeah, this one is kind of a much more straightforward A to B to C to D plot. Um, it just has a lot more kind of interesting undertones that I've noticed. There's also a lot more unintentionally silly shit. Jose Chung is like a comedy episode. This one has moments where you're like, okay, that's a bit much. Um, but like, just to be clear, when this came out in, this is like 1996, 1995 yeah at least at the latest this was some wild shit yeah yeah 
So um, we open on our our dear friend, the cigarette smoking man, which is in, his role in the X-Files is to essentially be, you know how every time you hear like, oh, someone in a smoke filled back room making decisions to change the course of history. He's supposed to be that guy. So that's if you haven't seen the X-Files, which A, you should just watch it. Um, and B, that's his that's his role in the in the show. Um he I believe it opens on the Lone Gunman, which is absolutely something we will talk about, especially the episode where they stop 9-11 from happening. And that's not a joke. It that episode happens a year before 9-11, and it is frighteningly similar to the actual details of what happened. So just that's that's something to be saved for a later date. Um, but yeah, so they open up on the 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 smoking or not the smoking men, the um, the lone gunman's uh, like publishing studio where they publish their magic bullet newspaper. Yeah. And the Mulder and Scully are talking to them about um, something that Frohickey found about this cigarette smoking man. And then it's just kind of an extended flashback for the rest of the episode. So the first thing I remember is the cigarette smoking man is reading the Manchurian candidate. Well, just, he's also sitting outside of the office with some sort of like code breaker thing because the guy says, Oh, well we got to do encryption. Otherwise someone might be listening. And then they turn on the encryption and this guy Uh, happens to have a pen that says like code breaker. And he, the, the lone gunman's office, not the, not the yeah, other military thing. And so, then the cigarette yeah. smoking man is setting up like a sniper rifle perch to, like to kill the kill these guys when they walk out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, and so when we cut, there is an immediate chant about, uh, Nikolai Khrushchev, we want you. We're going to kick your rangadang do Fidel Castro. We want you. We're going to kick your rangadang do. The anti-communism in this one is, uh, is refreshing. So strong. There is so much. I I don't know if it's like this is what they think the course of history, which it, I mean it is. It is absolutely the course of the modern world is run through anti-communist activities. Um, you can essentially look at every single thing that's happened and look at various anti-communist uh, organizations and activities and lay the blame directly at their feet. Uh, anyways. So there's a lot of shit ton of anti-communism shit in the beginning. The cigarette smoking man is reading the Manchurian candidate, which is just like the, the Uber MK ultra text. Um, and then he gets, he gets called it and his bunk mate is uh, Mulder's dad. So he gets, he gets called in to have a meeting with like the general of the base or whatever the fuck you call. I don't, I'm going to be here or real with you here, guys. I don't give a shit about military rankings. Wizard of the, of the air force. Yeah. The grant. So he goes and meets the grand wizard of the air force. Um, and they kind of rattle off his, um, his rap sheet of what he's previous or what he has allegedly not done. Uh, they bring up Patrice Lumumba, which is very interesting considering where this goes. But Patrice Lumumba, I don't remember what country, but he was a head of state in Africa. Um, Kennedy was essentially going to look to peacefully reconcile with him after the Eisenhower administration. And then the the CIA fucking murked him. Um, Kind of as a fuck you to Kennedy. 
Um, so yeah, and then he was involved in training the Bay of Pigs guys uh, down in Guatemala. Um, another, what's the other one they brought up? I think they said something about South Korea, if I remember right. That might not be. There, it was just a bunch of like CIA the, ops that. Yeah, it's the greatest hits of the CIA during the fifties. Um, so they have this conversation and they're basically like, we think you're very impressive, blah, 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 blah. They talk about the, like four ghouls in suits sitting in there. Yeah. So there's a David Byrne look like, um, there's a, there's a general, uh, I don't know what he, I'm just going to call him a general because he's a general in my head. There's a Latino dude. And then there's two guys in suits. One of them is the David Byrne lookalike. Um, so they kind of talk and then they talk a little, I think after the, he mentions Cuba and the Bay of Pigs, the, the Latino guy, uh, says Viva la Libertad, uh, just kind of unprompted. No one acknowledges it. And the episode just moves on, which I, I don't know. I kind of had the pause for a second and be like, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, my take on that was that he speaks Spanish and didn't really know what they were talking about. And as soon as he heard the words Cuba, just kind of, I mean, from what we know about Cuban expats, that's kind of their their thing. Yeah, damage is severe. So yeah, well, I I I don't want to look because I don't care enough. But I think that that song that that rap song did. So first off. The rap song that started the whole Cuba free movement in the last couple of weeks. Did you know that that whole thing is essentially funded by um, or was created by Samantha Powers when she was, um, I think, the secretary of state or whatever the hell she did? It is the most laughable attempt at whatever the fuck they're doing that I've seen in the in the modern world. I thought the Guaido one was pretty bad too, but we just we're we're all failures now. Previous successes, just like installing a unelected dictator, because like you know that happened in uh, what was it? Venez- not Venezuela, Bolivia. Bolivia. There was a coup in Bolivia recently. Bolivia, where they just insert some weird fash person, and then that's cool. Some crazy it just didn't work lady. that time, but um, yeah, yeah, trying to like sabotage them through media or something's kind of a new one. Yeah, also a very stupid one, but yes, <laughs> because people have the attention spans of goldfish now. But um, anyways, so the we find out that the cigarette smoking man's uh, father was executed for being a Soviet spy. Do you not remember that? Yeah, no, that was. Uh... That was very cool. Um, yeah. If only that had been passed down. I mean, and then he's like, oh, I would have pulled the switch myself. Uh, this this gave me very strong uh, World Anti-Communist League vibes. Do you think he was being manipulated by some other force than persuasion? The cigarette smoking man? Yeah. I think he just, my reading is he just loves his country. Okay, so he's just psycho. Yeah, that's my reading is he's just insane. Because you mentioned the Manchurian candidate earlier, so. Well, I thought that was very interesting. I don't think he is, but I find it very interesting that he's reading the Manchurian candidate, which is which is one of those things where you just kind of, uh, 
eyebrow raises ever so slightly. Um, yeah, so they, they, uh, knock off David Byrne, tells him to kill JFK, basically. He's, yeah, he no, says it as he like, he tells him to kill JFK. Yeah, he tells him to kill JFK. <laughs> so the cigarette smoking man goes to Dallas to meet, uh, a uh, great friend of the show and and uh, beloved uh, <laughs> Marxist, <laughs> uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, so th- this bugged the shit out of me. I, I understand it's America. It's the 1990s. You got to sell Lee Harvey Oswald as being a communist sympathizer. But like that's very much not what was going on. He like was very clearly involved with various intelligence agencies because he was working on stealth bomber shit uh, at whatever military base he was stationed on. Yeah, but I mean, if you've got a patsy, you might as well frame him as being. I understand. No, I know. I know why we know him as being a communist sympathizer. But I'm saying that's not what was happening. He was a plant in that organization. To yeah. So well, because then what, right before they they fade out to them being in Dallas. He's like, Oh, I got a, I got the perfect plan already set up. Yeah. So the thing that I think drove me the most, I know I've said this like six times now, but the one the thing that did, did the most psychic trauma to me was the fact that Lee calls him Mr. Hunt. So, uh, for those of you who don't know there, there's this gentleman named E Howard Hunt, who is, one of the uh, Watergate burglars. He's alleged to have had a role in the assassination of JFK. And um, he's just a kind of very well-known spook. So E. Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis, who was also in the, uh, the, the Watergate hotel debacle, um, are both accused of having been two of the three tramps who were supposedly... Above the grassy knoll, there is kind of a on Daily Boulevard or Daily Plaza. There's there's this fence, and you can see one of the shots supposedly comes from there that hits Kennedy. Um, I think the one that goes in his neck, the first one you see on the Zapruder film when he grabs his throat like this. I shouldn't say grabs his throat like this on an audio medium, but I'm doing the universal choking sign right now um, before the back into the left shot. Um, but so and E. Howard Hunt is alleged to have been one of those three guys based on photographic evidence by uh, Jim Garrison, who the Oliver Stone movie JFK is based on. Um, have you seen JFK, Scott? No. That That is something we're going to have to watch. That might be what our next episode is now that I think about it, actually. It's, it's a good movie. Um, Kevin Cosner and like literally every possible actor in there. Um. Yeah, I mean the CIA killed JFK. There's no if hands or butts. I think it's like that. six different organizations all killed JFK. It's like um, when Julius Caesar dies, they all take a turn stabbing him. At two FBI. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so E. Howard Hunt and E. Howard Hunt is also not referenced, I think, by name briefly, but is in The Irishman by Martin Scorsese as the guy Frank Sheeran, the main character played by Robert De Niro, runs guns to for the Bay of Pigs invasion. He's referred to as Big Ears. And he's later seen during the Watergate hearing and Frank Sheeran goes, I know that guy. 
So E. Howard Hunt is kind of uh, all over the place. And Frank Sturgis, who I've mentioned a couple of times, is maybe one of the most infamous uh, CIA gunners, killers, agents, whatever you want to call them. Uh, he's done a lot of bad shit. So <laughs> they were they the three tramps were some of the gunmen alleged in the JFK assassination, to put it shortly. And then you want to know something else that's really fucking interesting? Sure. So Vincent Bugliosi, do you know who that is? No, but keep going. So he's the guy who wrote um, Helter Skelter. Okay. So the Charles Manson, he's the guy who prosecuted Charles Manson. Yeah. So he wrote a book um, that essentially tried to debunk all the JFK conspiracy theories and that said Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone and it was one bullet. Vincent Bugliosi, uh, there's this wonderful book I have sitting on my shelf over there um, called Chaos, which I mentioned earlier. Um, Basically, Vincent Bugliosi is a complete huckster and full of shit and has ties to the intelligence community. Um, He was, uh, I think, I don't know if he ever became the official DA, but he was an assistant DA in Los Angeles and he had his milkman followed because he thought he slept with his wife and fathered his son, which was not true. Um, he beat his mistress to the point of like almost killing her while she was pregnant because she wouldn't get an abortion. So this is this is uh, the the kind of guy this is. And he had his fingers all up in the Manson case and all up in this JFK book. And I think it's very interesting that he's tied to these two things with his reputation. And one of the main things he goes after is the three tramps and disproving or trying to disprove that it is Frank Sturgis and E. Howard Hunt. Um, yeah, the X-Files is like uh, Marvel movies for cranks. This all the Easter eggs. Yeah. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about E. Howard Hunt for right now. But it, it is also very interesting to note that Jim Garrison brought him on trial, I think, in the late 60s before Watergate happened. So it wasn't like a post-Watergate, oh, we're just kind of saying, seeing what sticks. Pre-Watergate, he was accused of being one of the people who killed JFK. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, so then we see uh, the cigarette-smoking man um, just from the sewer, which yeah, I found to be a very a strange... that was. Yeah, I found to be a very strange thing. Um, he he shoots JFK from the sewer. He fires off three shots. I think it's the same gun that Lee Harvey Oswald used, that bolt-action rifle, or was accused of using. Um, and then, obviously, he sets up Lee Harvey Oswald to go to the Texas theater and get arrested there. And uh, We all know what happens after that. But, oh, we do see the man with the umbrella on the grassy knoll lifting it up and down, up and down. I probably should not repeat what motion I'm currently doing with my hand right now. But, um, yeah, so I I don't know how much of this stuff was kind of common knowledge in the 90s, um, which I find really interesting, especially the the uh, hunt, the hunt thing. I don't know if that was intentional or like what, but I, it, I find it very interesting. And the Umbrella Man. Um. I do like the fact that after uh, Lee gets arrested that he starts smoking. Um, I know it's kind of silly, but it is like he 
feels like shit and wants to die, which is something I relate to. Um, yeah, no, it's, like I said, it's Marvel movies for cranks. <laughs> it's, it's like pottery. It rhymes. Um, so then we are shown, I don't know why it's in black and white because none of the JFK stuff is, but for some reason, the event that happens, excuse me, five years after the JFK assassination is in black and white. Well, it's because it's in Tennessee, so I guess everything... Yeah. That's just what Tennessee looks like, I guess. Isn't it Memphis? Oh, I guess Memphis is in Tennessee. <laughs> is is Philadelphia a state? Should be. Um, <laughs> so he uh, he's listening to a, a MLK speech, and MLK essentially uh, cites sympathy for communism, and then he's like, oh, why'd you do that? Now I have to kill you. So he goes to a, a shady meeting with Listen to like Jesus talk or something. Yeah. Well, he also probably would have killed Jesus. So let's not forget here. Um, so he goes and has a very shady meeting with uh, a general, like a presidential aide and uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. But he's feeling himself now. He's, he's, the- he's very confident. He's, he's shitting on J. Edgar Hoover. He's doing some things. Um, I don't know how known the FBI sending that suicide letter to MLK was before this. They which... also uh, make reference to blackmailing him about having affairs, which I was like, and this, to go back to what you were saying earlier, I was like, <sighs> I don't know, 10-ish when this was out. And like the idea that... Uh, JFK wasn't killed by a single bullet and that there possibly was any ulterior motive for that. And that MLK had a bunch of skeletons in his closet and was murdered by the FBI. Wasn't like common knowledge. Um, I, I don't ever remember even hearing anything about that. Now we grew up in a very conservative households that may have just yeah not been discussed but i i didn't know about most of that until much later in my life yeah no i i found it to be maybe in high school is when i found some of this stuff stuff out and that was just because of weird youtube shit i watched um but that the fbi murdered martin luther king uh yes i i probably flagged now is is pretty much common knowledge now yeah, I, I am a firm believer that all of these shady meetings are essentially just wackle meetings. Yeah, I mean, today it would probably be like JSOC or some like weird uh, special ops thing. But uh, yeah, I, I think the smoking man in general is kind of just like anti-communism personified. Yeah. Which we will talk about later in the episode as, as a thing that there's a thing that happens at the end of the episode with him and Deep Throat that just bugs the shit out of me. Um, but the, the other, there's another interesting thing they briefly mention is making a fake porno with MLK in it. This is something they actually did to, I think, I think in Jakarta to their prime minister is they did a fake porno of an actor who looked like him with some white lady. And then it was just no one really cared because the president or the prime minister there was apparently just well known for like he just he just he just fucks the president just fucks in that country. 
that would be similar to like the this Donald Trump P tape that allegedly exists like coming out. Everyone would be like, ew, for like Which absolutely does not exist. What we thought it would be, and then everything would go back to normal. Yeah. So um and then they essentially say they're gonna do another Patsy. J. Edgar Hoover says it very dismissively. Um, but, and then they're like, oh, who's going to actually pull the trigger? And the smoking man's like, oh, I will. So, uh, we then cut to Memphis, uh, 1968. Um, we see him meet with the, with the guy who they, uh, framed up for the murder. Uh, he gives him some money to go see a movie, much like Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, and yeah, so he then kills JFK, uh, or not JFK, sorry, MLK. He kills MLK, and then we get a uh, scene of Bobby Kennedy speaking, which I actually found to be very moving. Just uh, as an aside, if you Google who killed Martin Luther King, (laughs) the uh, perpetrator is uh, James Earl Ray. Um, (laughs) Question mark, question mark. But yeah, there's no... There's nothing else about it. I mean, the thing is, if you go on Wikipedia, there might be some, like, conspiracy tab down at the bottom or something. But, like, anyone who takes half an hour to find out about it, it's so obvious. And it's so well documented. It's like, in the fact that the FBI has the cojones to be, like, on Martin Luther King Day like quoting him is just hilarious. And it's like anyone who is not a complete like fucking idiot knows this. And you're just like holding it out there for everyone to see. Yeah, no, it's it. I, you know, it's bad times, bad times out there. Yeah. But the third eye is opening. I mean, it's, it's definitely more known now i feel like than it ever has been yeah but who knows if that's just because of the proliferation of the internet and all that shit so yeah information spreads a lot faster and so does disinformation um but yeah so then we we jump forward again uh about 30 years to i don't want to say present times because it's like two years before the start of the show when like 30 years ago now but um we jump forward to him in a another smoke-filled room with uh, his goonies. Um, apparently, he is responsible for the 90s. He is responsible for the balkanization, uh, the Anita Hill thing. Uh, he rigged the Miracle on Ice by poisoning the Russian goalie. Uh, my favorite bit is that he refuses to let the Bills win the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's he's very vehement, vehemently opposed to that. I can't I choose, really imagine why. Because he is from he is from Louisiana, which I find weird. What is so? What is there is no Saints hatred towards the Bills. I, I don't understand that. Maybe he became um, what's not not a Washington fan. What's another team near Langley, Virginia that he might have been a fan of? Like maybe he's like a like a Jets fan. The Eagles. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very weird, like, it, it's like one of those things that maybe would have gotten some laughs in like 1995 because they had just lost like four Super Bowls in a row. But like, 
30 years later, it's like, why the fuck did he say that? I think even at the time, the actor, I was reading the Wikipedia for this episode, the actor was like confused, like, why does he care about this? And it's just like, oh, it makes him look like a vain idiot. All this other shit, he just like brushes off. But this, the Bills thing, he gets like, angry. He's serious about. He's like, the Buffalo Bills will never win a Super Bowl in my while I'm living. And I'm like, Jesus. And they haven't since that, because that actor's still alive. It's the curse of the, the Bills. The smoking man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got, like, in my mind, when I imagine what, like, Pete Buttigieg is like in a meeting, that's what I think. And then at the end of it, he gives them Christmas gifts, and it's just ties. It's all neckties. Yeah, I had that written down here. I said I had I what Pete Buttigieg is like. Well, we get we can't forget that Saddam is online too. Oh yes, that's and and the Gorbachev resigns, so the end of history commences. Um, yeah. So the cigarette smoking man is basically just like a huge loser. Is kind of my reading. Is he's like pathetic. He's also a failed writer. Ability to manipulate uh, world events uh, on a scale that no one in history has, probably. But his own, like, basically nonfiction writing. Because isn't he basically typing up shit that actually happened? Well, that's that's the thing is like, okay, how much of this is real? How much did he make up? Because it's it's debated whether or not this episode is canon. Well, yeah, it's the unreliable, uh, unreliable narrator situation all over again. Wow. But yeah, I mean, the idea that one person had that much control over anything is silly. But I mean, you got to have a antagonist for the show, I guess. So. Yeah. Kind of try to make him like almost like a sympathetic, a sympathetic character in the way he just gets like beat down by life. But it's like, okay, you're probably responsible for millions of deaths. It's hard to really feel bad for you. Yeah. That's the thing. And we'll talk about it later too. Cause I've got a couple notes on it later on. Um, so he gets a call about a UFO landing. I think, I don't remember where they said it was, but he meets deep throat. Who's like, in the first season, he's Mulder's, like, informant guy. He's given him all the information about what to do for the X-Files. Um, so him and Deep Throat go way back, apparently. Um, and then they both arrive at this alien, and they're while they're getting to the alien, they're talking about how if someone discovered this, it could ruin everything they've built. And I... It's just completely inexplicable to me. Yeah. It's just the so first... out of character for everyone involved. Yes, I completely agree. So it's it's like... A, why why would aliens being real and American hegemony? Or hegemony. Uh, hegemony. <laughs> that word you said. Yes. Um, why why would that end that? How does this? How does the fact that an alien is real threaten you at all? Frankly, um, it, it's just it's very silly in my opinion. And it, yeah, like you said, it just the characters themselves are not done well by this scene because the cigarette smoking man is like, Oh, I've never killed anybody. And it's like, does he actually believe that? Like, what does he mean when he says that? Is he like, Oh, they did it themselves. Like, what are you talking about? JFK in the fucking face. What is he talking about? Yeah. And then the one guy and deep throats like, Oh my lot, I'm the liar and you're the killer. And it's like, okay, this is kind of dumb. So they flip a coin and uh, Deep Throat has to go shoot the alien in the face. 
But it's very like reluctant, which I don't get for either of them because Cigarette Smoking Man's whole thing is to keep the aliens away from Mulder and from the public. So wouldn't he kind of relish in killing it? And then why would Deep Throat care? Because it's not human. I don't know. It's just a very weird scene. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the Cigarette Smoking Man is a failed author. He's tried to get a manuscript submitted a few times. He does get it submitted to this magazine called uh, Ramone Clef, which is... Uh, which is a French word for a novel in which real people or events appear of invented names. Um, so that's a little on the nose. Know that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what Ramoni Clef is. Um, so he sells his manuscript basically of what he's done to the, to the people and they like change the ending and he gets all depressed and pissy and does this really bad monologue uh, riffing on the Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates thing. Yeah, it was, there's a couple, and you know what, this, this is discussed as one of the better X-Files episodes, which I absolutely do not agree with, but there's a couple bits in this that are like trying to be funny almost, but just like, like the Bills thing from earlier is just like, what the fuck? And then, uh, that whole situation where he's like sitting next to that homeless guy, just like, fucking talking about like being the nihilistic Forrest Gump was just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It was very like, like it was just dumb. It was like, I rolled my eyes and I was like, okay, I get it. Please stop. It was was pretty stupid, but yeah. Yeah. It was rough. The entire Um, like last 10 minutes are rough. Are not good. Once, once it gets to the present, I, I, I think a lot of people don't like the first half of the episode, which is ironic because I actually think the first half of the episode is way more interesting. No, when he's like doing the JFK shit and when he does the Martin, that's interesting. Like I could have just watched the whole episode about the JFK assassination. But the, <laughs> the shooting the alien in the face for no reason was weird. The entire that whole monologue was weird and i don't yeah i don't know yeah it's just it's not i don't know I, it, it's it's let down down by life and like not even the most powerful person is happy or whatever but still it was just like this gum comparison is fucking weird and there's already two scenes like that. There's the scene where he's watching Bobby Kennedy speak, and then the scene where he smokes after Lee Harvey. Uh, right, now that I'm like arrested. sitting here talking about it, he kind of fucking is the nihilistic Forrest Gump. Because <laughs> like Forrest Gump goes around the world and like does dumb shit and like changes the course of history, and that's kind of the same thing here, except it's like a lot more like dark and sad. What if Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump uh, wasn't, uh, autistic, wasn't autistic and instead of, instead of uh, AIDS, AIDS, it was, it was bullets. bullets? What if uh, Chris Carter and his group of people were like sitting at a table and somebody, somebody said exactly what I just said and they're like, oh yeah, that's fucking deep, dude. You should put that in there. And That's probably, that's probably exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, so, and then after the magazine cucks him, he gets very sad and does that and he, he's like, oh, I'm going to be the cigarette smoking man for dies of cancer eventually that's some although not in the new seasons um so yeah he we cut back to modern modern day uh he's still sitting outside of the publishing thing froicky and all of them come out and he's like 
I'm not going to shoot you, but I can kill you whenever I want. And then the episode ends. And then the episode ends. So, um, yeah, that's it for Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man. Scott, uh, what would you rate Jose Chung's From Outer Space uh, out of 10 uh, psyops? Um, I'd give that one a nine. That's a, it's yeah. a good, that's a good one. That's, I, it's I, one I, of my I, favorites. It's silly. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but there's, there's a lot of interesting shit that happens in that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd give that one a nine and a half. It's one of my, it's probably my top five of X-Files episodes. And then out of, um, 10, uh, bad boxes of chocolate, what would you give musings of a cigarette smoking man? Um, that one's probably more of like a six. Um, it, it start, it's strong at the beginning. And then in my opinion, gets kind of silly and stupid towards the end. Um, yeah. The alien shit is, I mean, I, I was watching it and I'm like, how is this even, did I miss something? And like the, the episode changed and I didn't realize it. Like this is weird and stupid. Yeah. No, I, I would give it five out of uh, 10 chocolate, bad chocolate boxes. Um, all right. So this has been, uh, our first installment of, uh, I'm going to call it the crank files. Nice. I think that's a good, that's a good, good title for this one. Um, first installment of the crank files. Uh, thanks for listening. Everybody we will be discussing a movie next week. We don't have it yet, but I will sit down and Scott and we will brainstorm, brainstorm a feature for everybody. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, have a, have a, have a great day. What's a cool thing to say at the end? We gotta think. I don't, what did, what did Art Bell say when he logged off? We're, we're fucking out of here. Probably not. I, he seems like a man who didn't like swearing. You should just put another Jesse Ventura thing at the end of this episode. Yeah. The intro should just be like various Jesse Ventura quotes, like slice the music, like the cheering on thing where it's, I'm Jeffrey Epstein. It's just Jesse Ventura saying wild shit. Um, we're getting the fuck out of here. Okay. I'm not suing his family. I'm suing the insurance company. There you go. I'm Jesse Ventura. This has been cranking off. If we could actually somehow get in touch with his people and get him to like. I'm I'm a hundred percent sure he has a cameo. Would pay. I would pay I'm... lots of money for that. If I downloaded Cameo right now, there would 100% be a Jesse Ventura for like 500 bucks probably. But I I don't even think 500 bucks. I think it'd be like maybe like 100. I think if you had a, a good message and wanted to like spread happiness and joy, he would, he would do it for free. I agree with that. I think Jesse Ventura is a homie. I would, that is a man who I would, I would die for him. We're trying to spread the truth, Jesse. Do you understand that? Uh, yes, 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 Scott, I do. Okay. That goddamn Chris Kyle. lies about me. American Zero, like, right? Alright, well, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.